Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your Lord's Day. Thank you for this Sabbath, this day of rest. Thank you that you have uh, woken us up this morning and have brought us to fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and most importantly, to celebrate your son's resurrection. Father, I pray that you would bless us this day. Pray as we look into your word this morning that you would illumine our minds and our hearts, that we might uh, hear your word and uh, believe it and practice it. So help us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so back in our lessons on Christian rigor, and today we are going to be thinking about fasting. Fasting is everywhere in Scripture, as I've looked through it this week, and, um, and so I think this will be helpful to us, may spur us on to a practice that we used to in, uh, engage in and have let go, or maybe something new to you that you haven't done in your Christian walk. How many of you have fasted? So a lot of you. How many of you have fasted not for the purpose of your health? I think it was the same hands. Because often we'll fast for, you know, because we have a colonoscopy the next, next day, and that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, that's an that's a enforced fast, and it's misery. Uh, I'm talking about fasting for the purpose of um, pursuing the Lord. So what is a fast? What is a fast, just very generally speaking? It's what? Specifically what? Usually food, yeah. I mean, when we're talking about it from Scripture, the assumption is in every case that it's food. You're abstaining from food for a certain amount of time. You're depriving yourself of uh, what you normally would um, take in each day. And that seems strange, doesn't it, that part of our Christian vigor would be to abstain from food, abstain from nourishment. And, uh, but that is what is enjoined in Scripture, and so we'll go through that. Um, what is a Christian fast? We have to think about that. Not just, it isn't just to abstain from food. Uh, the danger you could fall into is to think that um, a fast is for the purpose of the harsh treatment of the body. Like you're building merit simply by depriving yourself of food and suffering. That's not what we're talking about as far as a Christian fast. It may be that it's difficult, and it, it could be very difficult, but, um, 
that is not what commends you to God, is the harsh treatment of the body, okay? God wants, wants to know that your heart is inclined toward him and that you're doing this in order to pursue him and be dependent upon him. So you have to have the right heart attitude when you go into a fast, and, uh, and that's a little bit what we'll talk about. So um, Calvin said, surely we experience this with a full stomach. Our mind is not so lifted up to God that it can be drawn to prayer with a serious and ardent affection and persevere in it. So he says a full stomach sort of takes your mind off of, of spiritual things. It certainly can tend toward that stuff your gut and all you want to do is sleep. Uh, we've all experienced that for sure. And um, so he says, with a full stomach, our mind is not so lifted up to God that it can be drawn to prayer with a serious and ardent affection. So our main verse this morning is Matthew 6, as you might expect. Matthew 6, 16 to 18, if you want to open up to that passage. Right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount... Jesus says this, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. For they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. All right, so that's, that's our basis. How do we know we should fast? Jesus says, when you fast, do it like this. That's how we know that this is commended to us and commanded to us and, and brought to our attention. Jesus is assuming of his disciples that they would fast. Now, you're not supposed to do it in the way that the Pharisees had modeled it to them, which is to make a big show of it, right? They made sure they looked really terrible, like this was excruciatingly ascetic and painful, right? So they would parade that around so everybody knew that they were spiritual men. Of course, they prayed on the corner, corner of streets to be noticed by men. They did a lot of things that would show, and... He says, no, when you fast, you know, make sure you've washed your face and anointed your head and, and that you're not doing it to be noticed by men, but to be noticed by God. And then God will uh, reward you, whereas those who do it for show, that's all they get is, is the acknowledgement of men. That's their reward. That's their reward in full is just the acknowledgement of men. And... Um, much better to have the acknowledgement of God who will see in secret and reward you. All right, so Old Testament precedent for fasts. Uh, what what uh, do you think of when, when I say that? Old Testament precedent, what comes to mind? Okay, so Esther was going to go into the king, uh, and the king, going into the presence of the king was no, 
you know, uh, it wasn't like going into the convenience store to buy a soda or a Coke or a pop, <laughs> wherever you're from. It was, uh, if, the, if you went into the presence of the king and he didn't extend the scepter, then, you know, you were done. And so it was a, it was a risky move by even Esther, and so she asked that uh, those uh, she knew would fast before she went in. And so it was a, it was, she was anticipating uh, a... Um, important event, and so she asked for fasting and prayer. All right, what else comes to mind? Yeah, same thing with David. David fasted when his son was alive, and then when his son died, he took food, and his servants were kind of perplexed by that, right? They're like, why is he eating now after his son had died? And, and um, and he explains himself in that, right? Okay, good. Other examples? Yeah. Nineveh, uh, Jonah goes and preaches in Nineveh, and the, res the repentance of the Ninevites includes fasting. And so that's repentance associated with, fa with re that's fasting associated with repentance. Um, go ahead, Sandy. Somebody else said Daniel. Okay. The Day of Atonement might have had a requirement for fasting. Um, it was Jewish tradition. All the text says is humble yourselves, and they took that to mean to fast. And it certainly became Jewish tradition that there, were, um, there was fasting on that day. And we see that in the book of Acts, that there, there, were, there was fasting associated with the Day of Atonement. And so um, you could, you could uh, that's Leviticus 16, 29, and 30, fasting on the Day of Atonement. And then you could cross-reference that with Acts 27, 9, where that's mentioned. And so it, it seemed to become a tradition, if not a commandment of God. Yeah, good. Someone who, okay. Yes, Daniel. Daniel um, fasted. You could go to Daniel 9.3, and there's a fast that is associated with repentance for the sins of his people. And uh, Daniel 10.1 through 3, uh, it was for the purpose of promoting prayer or an intensification of prayer. You fast so that your prayers are intensified. What else? Anything else come to mind? Moses. Yeah. Moses goes up on the mount and fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. That is a... Uh, he was supernaturally sustained by the Lord because to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, maybe you've heard of some people who have done that. Um, well, Jesus did, but uh, beyond them, you may have heard of others who have, <laughs> yeah, who have attempted 40-day fasts and 
Uh, certainly you, you can't do that without, uh, without some water uh, or uh, some calories somewhere. But these men and Jesus himself, who had a bo- has a body just like us, were sustained for 40 days and 40 nights by faith uh, through that fast. So Moses, another example. And why does Moses do that? He's in the presence of the Lord. He is, he is in a sense, consec- being consecrated. And is, is, um, that, that is a way for him to pursue his purity while he comes into the presence of the Lord and talks with the Lord face to face, as it says. Any other examples? Which what? Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Okay. Yep. Yep. Nehemiah fasts, and um, there's just an it's dire circumstances, right? They're they're looking at their surroundings, and there's work to be done, and and uh, and also repentance for the sins of their fathers, which led to the destruction of of what they held dear and they fast someone else said something else Elijah when does he fast um uh, it, it's it's not coming to mind someone else would have to confirm that um um he ran fast. <laughs> he held fast his faith. Uh, in number six, we read about Nazarite vows, which, um, which included abstaining from products of the grapevine, whether that's food or wine. Certainly is wine, but... Uh, that Nazarite vow encouraged a lifelong sort of fast from what normally would be uh, partaken of. And it was for the purpose of sustaining that vow, of setting themselves apart for that purpose. Uh, Judges 20, 26, we see as Israel is called to fast as a nation because they're on the verge of battle. Right? Big day is coming up, and they fast and pray. First uh, Samuel seven. Um, let's see here. Let me turn there. First Samuel seven. Five to six. And Samuel said, "Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you." They gathered to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said, "There we have sinned against the Lord." And Samuel judged the sons of Israel at Mizpah. And so, again, in the midst of conflict, they're repenting, and they, they, their repentance is uh, intensified by fasting. Second uh, Samuel 1, on the death of Saul, a fast is proclaimed. And so, one of the other times when we see uh, fasting in the Old Testament is when uh, there's a grief to be expressed. And so fasting intensifies grief. 
so on the death of Saul, 2 Samuel 12, 16, on the sickness of um, a child and repentance, 1 Kings 21, uh, I think that's Ahab, um, let me check. And it came about when Ahab heard these words that he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and fasted and he lay in sackcloth and went about despondently. Um, The previous verses, surely there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. He acted very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the sons of Israel. It came about when Ahab heard these words that he tore his clothes. It's one of the things that's interesting. We do see some of the kings repent. And Ahab is is an example of repentance for his idolatry. And astonishingly, Manasseh is too, who filled the streets of Israel with blood, right? But he repents. And so his personal repentance was expressed by the tearing of robes, the putting on of sackcloth, and then fasting as well. We could go to Ezra, we could go to Esther, we read about fasting in the Psalms. Isaiah 58 lays out proper fasting and and improper fasting. Jeremiah mentions it, Daniel, um, Joel, uh, Joel... Uh, speaks of repentance because there's a famine going on. There's this natural disaster that's happening, and so they fast and pray, asking that the Lord would bring that to an end. And in Jonah, we could also go there. So it's everywhere, right? We see fasting everywhere in the Old Testament. You sort of forget many of these examples. I'm ready to move on, but if you have another example. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, maybe he did another 40-day. He's another in the 40-day club. Yeah. Probably not, but... We don't. We don't have a lot in the New Testament. We see examples of it, but when Jesus speaks, it has triple weight. Maybe... A hundredfold weight, right? Jesus says when you fast, and that's all we need. Um, and so, but we do have examples of it. We have, uh, we have Jesus' own example in the wilderness. We have, um, uh, in, in the book of Acts, we have the apostles as an example of fasting as well. Right, we see the disciples of John um, Disciples of, of Jesus fasting, the disciples of John being a little confused about that, right? That whole interaction between the, the two sets of disciples there. And so, so to summarize what we see in the Old Testament, um, fasting served these purposes. First, humbling oneself. It's humbling when your body is afflicted, right? That's... That's the joy of, of disease. 
That's the joy of having a malfunctioning body, right? Is it humbles you. And that really is a blessing, though we pray that it would end every day, right? Um, but it humbles you. When you get hungry at three in the afternoon because you haven't eaten the rest of the day, you find out just exactly how weak you are, how dependent you are, and how important it is that we do pray the Lord give us this day our daily bread. I mean, we depend upon bread. We depend upon food. Take it away even for a little bit, and, and we're just humbled. We are weak, right? And so humbling oneself then causes you to depend upon God, right? It causes you, it, it forces you, it, it opens up your eyes to the fact that you depend upon God for everything, and you are just dust. You are weak, right? You are not strong. You need God's uh, continual presence to sustain you. Second, we, we see from these Old Testament fasts that they used fasting to intensify prayer, and I use that word intensify a lot, right? It seems that fasting is this way to, like, take your mind off of some things and focus them on other things. And so fasting was used to intensify prayer. And usually you want to intensify your prayers when you see something big coming. When you're on the verge of a battle, fast and pray. Right? When your child is sick, like David's child was sick, you fast and you pray because you want to intensify your prayers. You want to, you want to force your body to, to, um, to cry out to God. Third, we see that it is an intensification of grief. At the death of a child, at the death of a king, death of a leader, uh, they would, they would uh, after the death, they would then fast. And so it amplifies grief, which is really interesting, isn't it? That, that we would need help to grieve. But it is true. We, we sort of don't like to grieve. We don't like to do the, the, the work of grief. We don't like to, to work through the process. Some people, some people avoid grief no matter what. Right? And so they never process the death of a loved one. They never think it through. They never lift it up to the Lord. They never ask God for help. And so fasting in grief makes, uh, should encourage that. Fourth, we see repentance. Fasting as you repent. That's both corporate and personal. The whole nation, there were national fasts. The United States used to have national fasts. Days of humiliation, right? Mind-boggling that any, any president these days would call for a fast and a humbling of ourselves before God. But um, Israel did, and then there are personal, just personal repentance. And so we begin to see in the Old Testament what fasts are for. And, uh, and so then we jump to the New Testament teaching, and we can go, we see a few examples of fasting. Luke 2, 36 to 37, we have the example of Anna. Remember what Anna did? 
She was known for being a prayer, and she uh, was a prophetess. So there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayer. We remember the prayer part. Yeah, Anna's the one who always stayed in the temple and prayed. We forget the fasting part. She is uh, intensifying her prayers before the Lord as she serves in the temple. We could go to um, Matthew 17, 21, which says, um, no, that's not right. Got the verse wrong. That's why I didn't write any comments under it. What was I thinking? Anyway, um, we got Matthew 6, right? We read that earlier. That's the main verse. When you fast, don't do it like the Pharisees to be seen. And then we go to Matthew 9, and that's where the disciples of John and Jesus are together. 9, 14. Then the disciples of John came to Jesus asking, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? Right? And Jesus says this, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn, it's a tied to mourning, fasting, tied to grief and mourning, as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Right? So that fasting after the bridegroom is taken away, after Jesus dies and rises and leaves them, then, then it will be appropriate to um, express their grief about their loss. Luke 18. Maybe I got this verse right. 18 verse 9, and, he was, and Jesus also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. Notice he's praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so tying that passage together with Matthew 6, where, Matt, where he's saying the Pharisees fast and they want to be seen, and they, they look rough because they want, it, they want people to come up to him and say, man, what's going on? You look terrible. And so that they can say, you know what? I'm fasting and this is my second fast this week. And it's hard. Oh, I don't think you can street preach without having clipped a photo and put it on Facebook. It seems like to be like a prerequisite. 
Yeah, I mean, that's what we would do. The, the temptation to broadcast ourselves and our successes is much more intense than I think it was then, although there's nothing new under the sun. Just because They did it without Facebook. They just went to the street corner. So, um, let's see. Luke 18, 9 to 14. So that's a corrective to us, right? We um, notice at the beginning of that passage, it says, this parable was told to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. That's self-righteousness. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And so they were trusting in their works. And their works, they thought, that twice a week fasting was what commended them to God. And we know that that's not true because faith is the only thing that commends us to God and the merit of Christ that's given to us is an alien righteousness. It's not ours, it's just given to us is what makes us commendable to God and and so a corrective there. Um, Uh, John Piper says on this verse, uh, fasting is not first offered to God that we might be paid back because of it. It is first given by God that we we might benefit from it and that he might be glorified through it, right? So the, the, the motive, the heart in this, it's not trying to uh, you're not fasting in order to force God's hand, okay? Right? You're fasting as, a, as an act of humility before God and getting your heart in the right place and then pouring yourself out to him and praying according to his will. Acts 13, 1-3, Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So there we see at ordination that there was fasting and prayer that occurred before that ordination. And again, I would add that to our list of times when fasting would be appropriate, and that would be prior to the laying on of hands of of officers in the church. Acts 14 says the same thing. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now, here's some warnings from Calvin. Calvin has a few, four or five sections in his Institutes on fasting. And of course, fasting, you know, go back to the Reformation, fasting had become this this, uh, work of merit and had been totally become something it uh, it shouldn't have become. And so Calvin doesn't say we shouldn't fast. To do that would be to uh, contradict scripture, but he does say that there's good fasts and there's bad fasts, and he says um, the goal is to rend hearts and not garments, right? The, the goal is to um, come before the Lord with a heart that's rent, and fasting will help that. Uh, he says pastors should admonish the people that God does not greatly esteem fasting of itself, 
It's not just because you're abstaining from food. Unless an inner emotion of the heart is present and true displeasure at one's sin, true humility and true sorrowing arising from the fear of God. And so he's like, it's not just like because you didn't eat, God is going to be happy. It's you didn't eat while you were examining yourself and repenting of sins and seeking the Lord and desiring to pray to him and that your heart was was beating with his love, right? And so that the heart motive of fasting needs to be there. It's hard to get to that point. He, he said, do not ever regard fasting as a work of merit. We agree with that. And then he said, to require fasting to be kept to strictly and rigidly as if it were one of the chief duties of the Christian faith. Right? Like abstaining from meat during Lent. You have to do this. We have no command from Scripture for a fast quite like that, right? We, um, and so what he's saying, and it, it, this is good to do. This is not building of merit and one of the chief things that Christians have to be doing all the time or else, right? And so he said, keep it in perspective, okay? This is good, and it's like... Um, Think about the, the directions at the Lord's table. How often are we to come to the Lord's table? Huh? What? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I don't know if that, yeah. He says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so how often are we to? As often as you do it, okay? And Jesus says, whenever you fast. It's sort of parallel. It's like, you know, we're not going to set fast days. We're not going to, you know, we're not, you know, that you have to do one a month or you have to do a, abstain from meat during Lent or you, these, these uh, sort of hoops you have to jump through. But when you do it, um, do it in this manner. Right? So Calvin's like, keep this, in, keep this in perspective. And the reformers didn't want to just, you know, uh, have feast day after fast day after feast day and, you know, days for saints and all these other things. They just pared everything down and wanted to make sure that our hearts were in the right place and that we weren't just doing bare works of, that we think are commending us to God. So... Um, I made the statement earlier that fat, it's assumed in Scripture that fasting is fasting from sustenance, food, drink. Um, and so, but some of you are not able to fast because of your body. I get that. There were times in my life when I couldn't fast because I was chronically dehydrated even on a normal diet, right? So to fast was like, it was really difficult. Okay, and so, so how do you participate in a fast like that? Well, you, you fast from other things, right? Um, your body or your medical condition or something may not allow you to abstain from food. So fast from anything else that distracts you from a, a, devoted, um, a devoted concentration on 
prayer, humility, seriousness before the Lord. And so what, what other things have you ever fasted from? Have you done a non-food fast? Electronics. Are you serious? So what did that look like? How long did you do that? That's long. That's long for your wife not to be able to get in touch with you instantly. Um, we've become so dependent on instant communication with one another that it's scary to be uh, cut off, you know, like that, even though that was life all the time. Prior to this, you know, remember the, the dial phone? Yeah. Um, so devices... What, what other things have people abstained from that you found helped you focus on, on prayer or intensify grief or that, that helped you um, prepare for big events? People. <laughs> <laughs> Kids, the next <laughs> 24 hours is going to be rough for you. <laughs> No toasted cheese. That's why we say our kids are grown up when they can make their own sandwiches. And we could pull that off. There's another thing they, they have to be able to do, but I won't mention it. Um, okay, people. How about work? Some of us are workaholics. And so we get home from work and we work. So there's no time for prayer. There's no time for a fast. And so proclaim a fast from work. Do your 40 hours this week and then spend more time in prayer pursuing God. And maybe those 40 hours the following week might be more God-honoring. 40 hours, you know? Fast from work. That is what Sunday is supposed to be, right? It is a, it is a Sabbath rest. It is a... a a fast. It's a fast for us. It's a time fast. It's a work fast. Okay? What else? Entertainment, movies, games, things like that, sports. There's one more I have, and it's commanded in Scripture. Sex. 1 Corinthians 7. You guys remember the passage, right? It's, it's hard to forget. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. And come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Right? So right there we have a, a commendation, a command to fast from sex for the purpose of prayer, all right? Um, raise your hand <laughs> if you've ever consciously obeyed that verse. And it's not something many people have worked into their lives. But here's the Apostle Paul, not knowing really anything firsthand about marriage, commending that. 
Well, it's the Holy Spirit commending it through him, right? All right, so if not food, if you can't do food, um, fast from, from your morning coffee. If you can't do that because of the migraines setting in, um, now maybe the migraines will help, honestly. But if you can't do that, then if it's not nourishment, then these other things, consider, consider times when you do, you do fast. Um, when, when should you fast? Again, I just want to go through this. Calvin gives three purposes to fasting. When we use it either to weaken and subdue the flesh that it may not act wantonly. So it's like learning how to, to have self-control. That's one of the reasons we fast. Because the minute you fast and lunch comes around, what are you thinking about? Food. And you're like, I need food, 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 food. And you have to actually like break in and cut that off and say, no, man does not, yeah, you know, bread alone and all that. You know? And it, it beca- you begin seeing how much you are mastered by your flesh and the impulses of your body. And it's really shocking. You know, it's very difficult. So we use it to subdue the flesh that it may not act wantonly or that we may be better prepared for prayers and holy meditations, right? So fasting gets us, it, it hopefully with practice, it gets us to the point where it helps us meditate and pray, pray. or that it may be a testimony of our self-abasement before God when we wish to confess our guilt before him. Fast when you want to confess your sins before the Lord. Fast to intensify your repentance before him and cry out to him. We should also fast before important decisions. Calvin says, whenever men are to pray to God concerning any great matter, it would be expedient to point fasting along with prayer. So you're, you're taking a new job, you're considering moving to a new community, you're, you're you know, you're, what's that? You're considering who you're marrying and, and considering marriage, you're, you've got, uh, you've got a, a medical decision to make, you know, do I do it, do I not, and the, those things should be made with fasting. Um, before significant changes of station, and I'm thinking of like ordination, right? Um, when you take on responsibility, consecrate that with, with um, fasting. Uh, repentance, corporate and personal, mention that. In times of distress, personal or national, to intensify prayers. Calvin says, if either pestilence or famine or war begins to rage... For if any disaster seems to threaten any district and people, then also it is the duty of the pastors to urge the church to fasting in order that by supplication the Lord's wrath may be averted. For where he causes danger to appear, where God causes danger to appear, he warns that he is ready and, so to speak, armed for vengeance. And so we plead with God at those points, saying, God, have mercy mercy on us. 
right? When natural disasters, when wars, when, when disease is spreading, we should fast to intensify our prayers. In times of grief, we mentioned that, and then generally I would say, and this, this is all I have, generally the purpose of fasting is to humble yourself and force yourself to depend upon God. It's humbling and it's good to be humbled, right? We're, we're just so tied up in ourselves and tied up in our pride that to like suffer the uh, abstaining from food and all it causes to us really does show us we're dust. Really does show our weakness. And that's helpful, right? So lay off the burritos, which will just cause you to exalt yourself <laughs> and abstain from food and you will be humbled and it's good. We should practice this. So that's what I have. Fast. Think about fasting. If you haven't done it before, uh, do it. Um, maybe there are times as a church when the elders should call for a fast, when we have things coming up that are significant. We should do that. When we see significant things happening in the world and in the nation, we should fast. When a presbytery meeting is coming up, we should fast before the presbytery meeting. Things like that. So, any questions or comments? Yeah. Hi, Juan. Um, getting back to if we're fasting for things that other than food, um, just a, a, a caution to, be, to not fast from something like sin anyway. I grew up in a very Catholic community, and so fasting at lunch was a big deal. And the non Catholics used to laugh at the Catholics for fasting from things that were sinful anyway. I remember my friend really teaching. Getting drunk. Well, just contemplating will reveal those things, and that's good. And And that is, a, that is a really helpful point. I, I think Calvin makes a similar point when he says, look, fasting from things that are vices um, should be perpetual. You don't proclaim a fast day for, uh, you know, for abstaining from your vices. Okay, well, I think that's it. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would... Uh, cause this lesson to sink down into our hearts, that we would contemplate how uh, we should pursue fasting, when we should do it, how to do it. Give us hearts that understand uh, what it is meant to do, and uh, Lord, I pray that in the practice of it, that you would help us, that you would humble us, and Father, that it would lead to us being more fervent more intense in our prayers, in our grief, in our repentance, in our calling out to you for all the things that we need. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.